the Blue Bomber Podcast. That is, wow, that's fantastic. I like that. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes or at cjob.com. Well, this is the first time we're here at Blue Bomber practice after what I would call the most surprising outcome of a Blue Bomber game in close to half a decade, Derek Taylor. Apart from we were reminiscing about a Banjo Bowl game where Matt Nichols kept giving the ball to Willie Jefferson and other riders, and then they played his PSA on that Jumbotron over there and people booed his PSA at halftime. Apart from that one, yeah, no, 30-6 to to BC is beyond stunning. Doug Brown and I, neither one of us could kind of believe it as it was going on. Just what is... What is happening in every phase of this game to both teams? So what happened? Uh, you know, Ed Tate and I spoke at halftime, and I sort of boiled it down to, and, and Ed agreed, or Ed boiled it down to, and I agreed. The line of scrimmage play uh, on either side seemed to be big time in favor of BC. The offensive line did not have an answer for the defensive line of British Columbia, and the Blue Bomber defensive line just didn't seem to get enough pressure on Vernon Adams Jr. Yeah, it was the first time in his Winnipeg career that Kolaris has been sacked more than five times. He was sacked seven times in that game. Ugh, that's a pro- that's a problem. And it was the kind of pressure that was often so immediate. Like, Kolaris is the best in the league at keeping pressure from turning into sacks. He's the best since I started charting in 15. Only guys like Travis Lule are, are better. Like, he is super elite at keeping pressure from becoming sacks. But he could not do it in this game uh, because it was on him so fast. Matthew Betts is inside uh, Stanley and Jeff Gray, and boom, and there's nothing you can do about it except, you know, pray it all goes well on your landing. Uh, it w- that, was, that was, to me, the biggest part. The second biggest part was they were sometimes able to generate pressure on Vernon Adams, but he had a long time in the pocket. He was there for quite a while. And then he managed a couple of scrambles as well, right? So when they did get to him, Vernon turned it into first downs. But as much as people might think, hey, it was, uh, it was three, uh, you know, three steps and fire the ball out. No, Vernon was standing in the pocket, surveying downfield and going, Alexander Hollins, sounds good. Justin McInnes, yeah, I like that one. The two, and then, I mean, there were other parts, but yeah, the the offense and defense, the protection and the defensive line getting after, even with a number of blitzes, I think they blitzed almost half the game, could not get to VA. So uh, those will be back to the drawing board for the meeting in August. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the blitz, and the first time I noticed the blitz was maybe well into the second quarter. Doesn't mean they weren't doing it, but that was sort of the first time it was effective, and that's not really the Bombers' M.O. necessarily. No. They, they, they try not to, right? They try to leave guys back in coverage and, and cover all the zones and, and make sure things are, are protected downfield because we know they hate giving up those explosion plays. <laughs> yeah, last season, Richie Hall was exactly at the league average in just about every circumstance. First down, second and medium, second and long with blitzing. But, uh, and, and last season, they kind of had to... They had to use Big Hill more in coverage, right? Because they were having some problems in coverage. And and we've seen this season, they're having some problems in coverage. As we're looking at practice, we're, we're going, oh, okay, well, there's some changes in the defensive backfield because I suspect, I don't know it to be injury. If fans would not be surprised to go, yeah, some guys need to be uh, sat down for a little bit just with how that one went because 
BC did not have its two best receivers. Dominic Rimes, a top five receiver in the league, did not play. Keon Hatcher, over 1,000 yards, did not play. And yet they were still able to put up 30 points. It just it doesn't feel real, GMAC. It doesn't feel real. <laughs> so Doug was talking about this whole idea that, you know, can you reinvent yourself after seven years in a league? And we're talking about Adams again. And we know this is the Blue Bomber podcast, not the BC Lions podcast. So we don't want to belabor the, the idea that the BC Lions might be the best team in the league right now. But the whole, the whole idea that Vernon Adams uh, appears to be for real. Well. I know you're not sold. Well, so I, I went through and I charted the game out. And Adams' accuracy was still not great. Still not great, but some of them it just didn't matter too terribly much. Like oh, there were guys, there were guys like there's open, and there's throwing guys open. There's pinpoint passing. There were a lot of plays where the BC Lions receiver could have had a sandwich while he waited uh, for the ball. Lucky Whitehead over there on the forty was like 15 yards in any direction. Like the radius of of him being untouched was like 15 yards. It was. It was very much uh, unexpected, let's say. So I, I think uh, Vernon looked good. He, I mean, Vernon looked really good. Let's not kid ourselves. That whole offense, apart from their run game, looked really good. He wasn't really accurate. Uh, he, he had a fair number of uncatchable balls too, but uh, that, was, that was as good a game from Vernon Adams as I've ever seen live. Let's say that. He might have – I'm probably missing one where he played better, but that was as good a game I've seen from him live. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking maybe the game – and maybe it wasn't him at quarterback, but I feel like it was that brought the Alouettes back against Winnipeg, like in that 30-point mm. uh, comeback in the, late in the third quarter to the fourth quarter. We'd have to double-check that before we uh, allow that to stay in the podcast. But, yeah, Vernon Adams, interesting study. So, enough BC Lions talk. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, our primary focus. We're sitting at practice here on Tuesday morning looking out over the field. This team, you know, I, I said at halftime also, I didn't think – the score at halftime would phase the Blue Bombers. You know, this is a veteran crew. We've belabored that point, and, and we know how much uh, th- this team believes in one another. And I don't think they were panicked in any way, shape, or form, but they simply could not get anything going in that second half. Where do they go from here? They just park it, and, you know, this, they talk about 1-0, Oh, and one is going to be the same sort of circumstance, is it not? Yeah, I think I think they just park it. Like last year, they they go to Hamilton and get walloped, and then they kind of totally forget about it. Like, okay, we saw any similarities there, by the way, in terms of that game. Just just to get that out of the way, because I know a lot of people that I've been talking to over the last few few days. That was the game that it reminded folks of, not necessarily in how it played, just in terms of the final result. <sighs> I mean, the shock of the final result and coaches coaches and players will say everybody's good in this league. And I don't 100% buy that and we'll do that another time. But on any day, right, you could, you could get another team's best. And Dane Evans, in that case, could play the best game he'll ever play in his professional life. And sometimes that happens. Maybe this was the best game that Jordan Maximic, the BC Lions offensive coordinator, will ever call. Maybe it's just one of those bad days for literally everybody on the Bombers, right? So, no, I honestly, I mean, when you win 15 games plus a playoff game last year, I don't, I don't think you're real phased by, hey, we got it handed to us uh, at home in week three. Oh, well, uh, let's move on to Montreal. And then we got some games against the West that are going to be important. And we'll, we'll focus on those. So I, I, I wouldn't expect any lingering effects. And uh, the betters don't because uh, 
Winnipeg's a six-point favorite on the road against an unbeaten team. I'm Skylar Peters. Welcome into the film room. When I started this, I figured I might have a handful of plays to choose from early on somewhere in this season to feature later in 2023. After all, we've got decades of audio going back to choose from. The options are endless. We threw that all out the window last Friday night. 6.02 to go in the third quarter. The Bombers' defense just got a nice stop on the Saskatchewan 28. He'll keep it away from Janarian Grant. A little end over end gets on the ground and skips forward. Great punt. Grant at the 20 around the first man. And he's going to cut back to the left. Jumps through a guy around Dalkey. Stiff arms Pete Robertson. Turns off another man. Janarian Grant to the 40. The 50 into Ryder territory. Janarian Grant has got one guy to beat. Janarian Grant is going to score. Jeez. Are you joking? Well said, DT. Typically, this is where I'll try to paint the picture of what we just heard a little more. But even a week later, you really have to see this one to believe it. Zach Calero summed it up pretty succinctly, though. I mean, I think I saw him stiff arm 12 people. Yeah, it was, it was crazy. I mean, this went 90 yards on the stat sheet, but Janarian Grant traveled a whole lot further than that. I would guess it was over a buck 50, so to do that full speed and with dudes trying to bring you down is pretty impressive that's a voice you don't get to hear very much on our broadcast special teams coach paul boudreau and he won't take much credit for what took place in those 29 seconds but he wasn't necessarily optimistic about how this return started off first i was hoping he'd catch it in the air it hit the ground and then the next thing i saw him make the miss and i was like well we might have something i saw the flag and was trying to figure out kind of who was over there and then as i was kind of going through that in my head he just kept making Missed tackle, missed tackle, missed tackle, and all of a sudden he got the edge. And then he gets down and he's able to keep himself in bounds. And I think one of the craziest things about this whole play is how close we came to it being wiped off the board. But Drew mentioned it, a phantom flag thrown by the officials. I've not seen anything. No, it's certainly not on Dembski because yeah, we've Dembski's watched on the number, field. We've watched a number of replays here. And you know, we don't know where they're looking. So how does that make Janarian Grant feel, seeing the laundry after giving it his all on a return? I think it was um, his view because I was still coming back from the end zone, you know, just saying it was a flag and everything. So I was just walking back and they was already discussing it, you know, looking over at the iPad and everything. And I watched it as well. You know, I was just waiting on a call. Thankfully, a well-timed challenge by head coach Mike O'Shea ensured Winnipeg would retain their 31-21 lead. And one of the best punt returns ever would be cemented into CFL lore. Like said, it was worth the challenge to try to protect a score um, on a play like that when it just looking at it on a small iPad didn't look like there was a foul. You tend to think these guys like O'Shea and Boudreau have the best seat in the house for these kinds of things, but when we chatted with the head coach after the game, it appears he may not have seen the unbelievable individual effort at first glance. I think I'm looking in other places sometimes i'm trying not to follow the ball i'm looking at blocks and stuff like that so or i blacked out because it was so good o'shea talks about the blocks but to be honest there weren't too many on this play this one was all grant i mean sports a lot they say a lot of times they say you can't do it all on your own but he pretty much changed that theory right there and but Janarian was keeping it cool when we asked him about it post-game. I'll probably be ready to go, honestly, man. You know, just thinking about the next play for real. You know, just put my, my team in the best position possible. Blue Bombers fans have been pretty blessed to witness Janarian Grant wearing their favorite colors since 2019. After all, this is a guy who scored two touchdowns on punt returns in his CFL debut back in August of that year. Over the years, people have 
understood he's a stronger runner than he appears. But, uh, you know, still when you get out there, some guys, I think, that sometimes underestimate how actually strong he is. He's been that good since we've, since he's started here with us, you know, so um, doesn't always work out, but everybody on this team knows how good he is. And if you're keeping count at home, Grant now has three massive touchdowns in his last four games of significance. 92 yards in last year's West Final versus BC, 102 yards in the Grey Cup, and now 90 yards in week two of 2023. So where does this one rank, Janarian? You know, it's, it's a lot going on right now, so, you know, just taking it one game at a time. I guess we'll just have to wait and see when he'll add the next one to that unbelievable list. All right, Winnipeg Blue Bombers in Montreal. I've not been to that stadium, Derek. I've been to most of them now. I've not been to that stadium. It's kind of a neat spot where it is. Does it pose any particular challenges? I mean, the awkwardly shaped end zones probably would be off the top of my head the thing that would maybe drive me crazy unusually and maybe more than it ought to. But other than that, does playing in Montreal pose any problems other than maybe the distractions the night before can provide? (laughs) (laughs) Yes, many folks have talked about the distractions of Montreal. Well, uh, for broadcasters, there are the metal stairs, and if it's raining, you're going to die on them, so that's not great. Uh, If it's not raining and you have to walk up the front uh, bleachers, that is an awful awful uphill walk um very steep yeah very steep and there is no handrail so you take your life into your own hands walking up among the crowd when you get up into the uh this is the one i'll always beef about when you get up into the visitors broadcast booth it's shoved to one end so you're on like the 10 yard line so you're trying to see where yard line they are 100 yards away and there is no place in the stadium in, in the stadium at mcgill where we as the visiting broadcasters can see the down and distance. We don't get one, here in, in uh, IG Field, we look directly across, first down, 10 yards to go, 46 yard line. You do not get that. So Doug Brown, Ed Tate and I will have to guess. Uh, it looks like second and four from around the Montreal 36, right? That's going to be us as Kalaris and, and company attack. So. Uh, and then the seats are fixed, so you can't, if you're a little, if you had a little too much poutine, then uh, I don't fit into the seats as well. It's all a, it's all a challenge in, in Montreal. But charming nonetheless. Oh, the, the stadium is in a beautiful location. I mean, the treed uphill walk to, to the stadium, Molson Stadium at McGill, is fantastic. It's be- you just wish the stadium were CFL level, and it's, it just is, is not... If yeah, having if if this were your destination when you went to an Alouettes game, it'd be incredible, uh, IG Field here. But it's unfortunately, you know, just happens to be one of the worst ones in the league, and there's not much that you can do about it because Montreal real estate and ownership troubles and blah blah blah. And then who wants to spend what what would the stadium cost now? The one we're in, five hundred million bucks. And then in Montreal, add a little premium for that for real estate. So well, yeah, but, uh, premium for real estate, and uh, who's going to do the job, and who's going to do it right, and yeah. you know, I need my cut off the top, and Paul. Nope. And anyway, we don't yeah. want to cast aspersions. Billionaire media moguls like uh, Pierre Carl Pelado will know the right folks to get a stadium built <laughs> if it's if it doesn't happen. If you're a fan, though, oh man, go to Montreal and watch a football game. You know, you may be sitting on like a bench seat to watch the game, but just the atmosphere around it. I mean, there, 
they were trying last year, and I imagine with a new owner, we've seen new ownership really uh, put some life into the BC Lions and, you know, trying to put life into the Edmonton Elks, though they can't win on the field. I mean, popping in 32000 for the home opener was great. So Pierre-Carl Pelado, uh, their new owner, is incentivized to make it a, a great experience with what he would hope to do. So, yeah, I would highly advocate going to, uh, to Montreal for, uh, for a Bombers game, for sure. So not to belabor a point, uh, because the Bombers won't do it. It'll be interesting to see. I see Jackson Jeffcoat out on the practice field today. That, oh, could, could that be then. could that be a, a good sign for the Blue Bombers? Because let's face it, uh, we said it off the beginning of the season. That was sort of the area of concern. That was going to be the area of the team. Ironically enough, where you have two of your, you know, dare I call them superstars, lining up. Uh, that that was going to be an area of of concern. So what are you looking at as the Bombers head into into next week or this week against Montreal? Well, having Jeff Jeff Coat back, and if he's practicing today and he's full addressed and in stretch, would indicate he's coming off a six-game injury list. So having him back, uh, Celestin Haba has been doing fantastically in getting sacks, right? He's got one in every game. I've given him credit for one he missed by this much because Willie got there a fraction of a second before he did. But now, if that if that's a rotation of Jeff Coat Jefferson, who are Jeff Coat produces quarterback pressure like nobody else in the league, and then Haba's a rotational one with Anthony Bennett, that is fantastic. That would be huge news uh, for the Bombers because uh, they're going to need to disrupt Cody Fajardo. That Montreal offense is is operating pretty good, even without having gotten their run game with William Standback going. So uh, that would be fantastic. Fajardo does have that spin move out to his left that he is has patented. So you have to keep a, keep an eye on him because he can run. And somehow, even without Greg Ellingson, they found some receivers along the way. Uh, Austin Mack is crushing it in my fantasy leagues. Uh, so Montreal's a bigger challenge than I kind of thought they would be at the beginning of the season. But uh, having having Jeff Coat back in there and figuring out some answers, they're looking for some answers as we see a practice on the defensive backfield. Those, are, those would be uh, big steps, big steps to knocking off the undefeated Montreal Alouettes, which just sounds wrong, but is accurate. So we know the mantra around here, 1-0 this week, 1-0 this week. Bombers are 2-2 two two in their last four games. Grey Cup included, that is true. That is true. The, the Grey Cup game, any one-score game is kind of has a lot of elements of luck, right? But... 30 to 6 includes no not really many elements of luck. It's you were you were beaten by a, a better team. But yeah, two and two in their last but then we can trace that back to well the last ones they tried since week eleven of last year. They they're pretty good. They weren't trying in that one game, so they've only lost three since week eleven of twenty twenty. Yeah. It's it's just weird to be talking about them off a loss because fifteen and three. A club record for wins last season. So um yeah, things they'll clean up, things that I mean if Kenny Lawler does come back and there's no, still no word about when he's coming back, the receiving core still looks pretty good. Yep. St- I mean, still looks to be the best in the league. Brady Oliveira, uh, injured thorax, was hammering guys in that BC game. That looks just fine. Like, there's as much as we are concerned about, well, protection and pressure and coverage, there's still a lot of things that we sh- we're pretty happy with with this Bomber team. It's nice to be not talking about the kicking game. Yeah, there's no, like Sergio's missed one kick so far. Yeah, yeah it's, 
it's good. It's to and not, made up for it on the ki- next kickoff. Missed a convert and then, oh, you know what? Sorry, guys. I'll just kick a single. I'll kick a rouge exactly. on the ensuing kickoff. Yeah, pretty uh, pretty good. So yeah, zero concerns about that. And even, I mean, last season that was just kind of always hanging over. And even when uh, Mark Leggio, who's crushing it so far in Hamilton this year, uh, even Legs when he hit that uh, 55 yarder to give us the lead in the Labor Day game in Sask. Even after that, you went, no, it's feeling pretty good, okay. But there was always a little unease. I've had zero unease about Sergio Castillo. And Doug Brown has had zero occasion to even talk about Sergio Castillo because he's just hitting all his kicks. All he does is hit his kicks. So uh, he's one of the best of his uh, generation in the CFL. And, uh, yeah, you see why the Bombers were so quick to jump on him once Edmonton decided they were going global at kicker. I feel like we could do an entire podcast on the situation in Edmonton, but we won't do that. Derek Taylor, uh, Justin Medlock going into the Blue Bomber Hall of Fame. And for as much as Andrew Harris was the big name, uh, the big piece of the rebuild here when the Blue Bombers went out and started signing free agents, for me, and I said it from day one, I think the most important of those free agents was Justin Medlock. And I'll tell you why. Because I believe he gave them opportunities to win games during that rebuild that they might not otherwise have had an opportunity to win. I think they started winning games earlier in that rebuild and that retool than they might have otherwise. And yeah. so Medlock, obviously critical. When, when you got a guy that's got the best field goal kicking percentage in the history of the league, it helps. He's the best kicker in the CFL ever. All time, and I can only dig up stats that go back to 2005. But kicking took such a leap forward in the 2000s and then around 2015 as well, which it seems to happen that the years that Justin Medlock is in the CFL, kicking is dramatically improved in the CFL that year, right? I just keep going back to the opportunities that he opened up for for an offense uh, and getting points was incredible. He had 63 attempts regular season and playoffs from 50 yards plus. The next highest guy just got past half that many. Rene Paredes has 33 in his career. So you're saying uh, Justin Medlock had the trust of his coaches. He had the trust of his coaches, the ability to do it. So when you get to the 45, you go, yeah, we're in Medlock field goal range. We feel pretty comfortable. Let's, we're going to get some points off this drive. And he didn't hit them all because that would be crazy. But he, he opened that up in a way that no other kicker did. And then, oh, by the way, if you happen to squeeze to about the 25-yard line, Medlock between 30 and 39 yards was 96% in his career. The next highest, the next best kicker was 89%, Paul McCallum. He was so much better 30 to 39 than everybody else, which is, you know, some teams are worried about, ah, it might flare a little left, it might doink off the post. All Mike O'Shea had to do was go, yeah, Justin, go make that. Justin would go make it, and everybody felt pretty great about it. And then, oh, by the way, uh, he never missed converts. He had, I think the number is, he scored 19 more points on his converts than an average kicker would have, which every little thing counts, right? And he managed to, to be a pretty good punter when they made him the three-duty guy, and he kicked off. Like, he was, he was just the best kicker I, I ever saw. And other guys have had great seasons, but... When he was asked to kick, was it 16, including the playoffs, he, he, he was asked to kick 72 field goals. That is an incredible workload. And it showed. I, I, I'll take kicks and I'll compare kicks to every other kick. Every 45-yard kick gets compared to every other kicker's 45-yard kicks 
for all the data. So you use that and you go, okay, well, how many points did he score? How many points would an average kicker have scored based on exactly where you asked him to kick? Mm -hmm. So you get, a, you get a value over average. You will not be surprised, well, you might be surprised, of the six best seasons in CFL history that I have, Medlock has five of them. Five! Because he just produced points better than anybody else. And kicking is a very binary thing. Yes or no, good or miss. And he was good almost all the time. And he was asked to do harder kicks than other guys. And he was still good almost all the time. It's uh, mind-blowing, those statistics. And by the way, folks, Derek did not know we were going to do this segment. That's all off the top of his head. So uh, you can take that. I love that. Medlock. Well, I love Medlock, too, but I didn't know all those things. I do know this, though, Derek. For as much as Andrew Harris was the player of the game and the Canadian player of the game in the 2019 Grey Cup, you could have made a very strong argument for Justin Medlock being the outstanding player of that game in my mind. What was he, 6-7 in that game? Yeah, yeah exactly. Hey, uh, Justin, and, and I'm assuming, uh, I could dig it up, I don't have it top of my head, I'm assuming those were not easy kicks, I feel They like. weren't easy kicks, and they were timely. I know people will argue about timely points, timely goals, timely saves in hockey, all these different things. The Bombers dominated Calgary in that first half with turnovers, flips of field position, and Medlock made sure they got points. Because of Justin Medlock, they got points on all those flips of, of, uh, of possession and of field position. Yeah, and that was just Medlock's thing. And ultimately, there's a deeper conversation when it comes to field goal kickers. You'd, you'd like to have a better one, but... Uh, if you'd like your team to be more aggressive, you can just be more yourself. You don't have to be aggressive when you have a kicker like like Medlock because you're comfortable. If we get to the, I mean, if we get to the 45, we are super comfortable. If we get to the 50, now yeah, he's probably, I'd have to guess, Medlock probably tried 10, 12 kicks from 56 and beyond in his career. Mike O'Shea in the playoffs had, was in kind of a, uh, a what do we do here situation. Four yards to go. That was the uh, West semifinal in BC in 16? West semi or West final. Yeah, one of the, yeah, I think West semi. So uh, trotted them out for a 61-yarder because, yeah, Medlock hits these in practice. And why would we not? We could try to, we could try to run a play and then maybe we'll have time to throw one to the end zone or we can trust the best kicker of all time. And it didn't, I mean, that play didn't go well. Any Bomber fan knows, hey, that didn't really go well. But if a guy is that good, if the sun rises in the east every morning, yep. I could probably trust that it's going to rise in the east this morning, right? So, yeah, he, uh, I just I can't stop talking about how much I think Justin Medlock was awesome. And other kickers are great. We're in a good, good time for, for kickers in the Canadian Football League with Paredes and Sean White and Brett Lother in Saskatchewan. Uh, and even, I mean, David Cote, the young guy in uh, Montreal. But uh, Justin Medlock was just... No one will be like Justin Medlock. I, I, I equate it to when Zach retires after winning the 2050, 2025 Grey Cup here at home. Uh, the next guy, I'm sorry, but you, I mean, I apologize for this, but you're going to be compared to an unreachable standard because Zach led the Bombers to five Grey Cups in six years kind of thing, right? Like, it's, it's going to be very rough. Whoever follows Stanley Bryan at left tackle, I'm sorry, but you're following the greatest offensive lineman awards-wise in CFL history. That's just your life, and we, which makes me, which reminds me that we're blessed to have these players when we have them.
I'm looking around. I'm looking at the other uh, players that are in this ring of honor, and of course, that's not that's not what hap- is happening with Justin Medlock. He's just going into the Hall of Fame. But you know, if you're having a conversation about a guy and his impact versus amount of time in Winnipeg, that ratio for Justin Medlock is is phenomenal. Yeah, and that's to me, that's just his greatness. Like every other, uh, just about every other team had to be like, oh my gosh, what are we doing? Oh, how are we going to get a kid? Oh, where can we find one? Oh, yeah, no, he's there, and he's making Weston Dressler uh, take a hundred bad snaps just to make sure the operation is right. Coach O'Shea told that on the coaches show that after practice, he would sit Weston Dressler, 10,000-yard receiver down and his holder, and just roll him terrible snaps, right? Just so he could have the operation perfect just in case it no mattered matter one the day circumstance. yeah oh it bounced and hit you in the head get it on the tee it uh, it was a little bit behind you get it on the tee just he was medlock was that exacting and and uh dressler knew the importance of it because game winning kick it's got to go right or else it you know, it's the biggest thing of that game right it's the only thing i remember so yeah we were we're blessed to have medlock and uh yeah it's no one will will ever be him, but you just hope to find somebody who can who can be pretty good. So Derek Taylor says uh, Blue Bombers, pretty good choice. You got a post practice, basically session where Weston Dressler, who's just run all these routes in practice or whatever, is now going to hold for Justin, and Justin's going to basically, from a very short distance, throw and roll bad snaps to him. Uh, like over a hundred of them. <laughs> so Weston's fingers are basically bleeding, picking up these footballs and pinning them. And, you know, and he's like, okay, only 10 more, only 10 more, only 10 more. Just in case, just in case uh, Rempel had one snap that might, might've been off, which there never really was, but they were prepared if it happened. Uh, and I just, it was interesting. And then as I went on with the story, Weston Dressler, who's excellent in his own right, uh, you know, one of the best receivers in the history of the CFL. Um, just crouched on one knee, picking up 100 footballs off the dirt right in front of him and pinning them. And just, yep, yeah, okay, this is what it's going to take. Yeah. Let's do it. <laughs> so, one, one jams his ring finger, one hits him in the hip. Like, just, no, nope, we got to do this. Yeah. It. And I, I, when you told that story, I just thought it, it must be nice uh, when guys like that find each other, guys who are so exactly like this guy. Yeah, Manny was the driving force for it. Manny yeah. was the driving force. I mean, Weston was very sure-handed. He was not worried about picking up any football and, and pinning it correctly, but he was certainly willing to go along and and do whatever was going to allow our kicker to feel comfortable that, yeah. that they were going to be spot on if there was a, a, a snap that went a little bit awry, right? Unfortunately, as try as they might, the kicker sees a bit of that. Right, they try not to. Uh, I would think they would try hard not to see the snap be off a little bit, but they can't help it right at the end because it's not the normal. It's not oh yep, yeah, oh yep, yeah, oh yep. Yeah. It's like oh what you know. So they <laughs> see it. So as much as anything, you know, you need the holder needs to be as quick with the sort of the recapture of the form again, and the kicker needs to put it out of his head and add that brief pause in before he kicks the ball, which isn't normally there in a regular session. Right. Mm -hmm. So he worked, he worked at everything and he had all the other special teams operations guys working their craft too. And he would audition snappers right through the year. You had a backup snapper. He had the third string. He like, he had these guys all tuned up. He'd grab 
young guys that were showing an interest and he would then fire them balls a hundred at a time after practice and say, okay. No yeah. And then he would either invite them back or not. Walk me through the holder. Like, is there a specific way you very much like the ball to come in and be set down? And that would have, that part would have to be practiced over and over again, because I get having to do it quickly, but doing it right is different. And could you tell right away if, if the ball's not been being held the way you think you'd get that, get it off right off your foot, Justin? Yeah, I knew right away. Um, but, but, you know, the main thing is, is that, you know, when you're down here in the States, you know, a lot of these holders are, you know, they're punters, so you work with them all year. Mm-hmm. And so they're really, they, you know, you can roll from a punter to a punter, and they, they all kind of know how to hold, right? Whereas when you go up to Canada, you have to work with a quarterback or a wide receiver, right? And they're not really used to, so you're basically starting from zero. So you have to, like, really teach them how to do it every year, right? And so that's a little bit of the challenge there is that, like, you're teaching somebody how to crawl and then walk and then run and then be able to do this, like performing at a high level. Right. So that's, that was always like the harder challenges. Like immediately, as soon as I got to camp, to camp, I had to like figure out who's going to hold. All right, let's go. We're going to start working on it. And I had to like, I had to go through some growing, like growing pains in the beginning of the year, uh, just to like get through that and just kind of make some kicks instead of like making sure that they're perfect. So that was always more of the challenge. And plus two, for me, I was more of like a, how you caught the ball. So if you kind of caught the ball wrong, then it just messed me up because my eyes kind of went to the holder really quick. And so if I saw you like catch the ball wrong, it was like, it just really threw me off. So I had to like teach guys how to hold the ball or catch the ball. We're speaking with Justin Medlock, who was in Bombers announced yesterday going into the Winnipeg Blue Bombers Hall of Fame and Wade Miller, president and CEO of the football club, Justin. He often speaks to us about football being the ultimate team game. And yet, as we saw in last year's Grey Cup, whether it's team game or not, everything can end up kind of hanging on the kicker. So, like, how do you how do you deal with that pressure? Um. Yeah, you want those kicks. I think if you're, you know, if you're a kicker, you want those kicks, right? So um, I want the game to come down to me. Then I feel really confident that we're going to win, right? So, um, you know, that was a tough one to watch last year. And, you know, it comes down to, you know, a kick and comes down to, you know, blocking for the field goal, right, too. So, you know, the kicker's going to get the blame. But, yeah, it's a team aspect, right? We all have to do our job and, um, yeah, that's why you get. That's why you're hard on some of the other guys too, right? So make sure that they're doing the little things right, and they you know, they kind of think, oh, well, here comes you know crazy med. But at the same time, like if we're doing all the right things, then I'm able to execute and do my job to the best of uh, my ability and execute under pressure, right? So, um, but the, you know that was a tough one to watch last year, but you know they'll bounce back. They're going to win this year. So you're coming for the ceremony October here in Winnipeg. Did you ask the Bombers if they could have put you in for a summer celebration as opposed to a fall one, Justin? <laughs> I, I know, right? I thought to myself, oh, man, October. Wow, I haven't been in that kind of weather in a while. I think over here I'm like 50 degrees, and I'm like, can we can we get to spring? Is it the summer? What's going on here? So it should be a, should be a chilly one. Yeah, well, you never know. October is kind of hit and miss. It can be warm, it can be cold, so hopefully it'll be on the warmer end. And before we let you go, Justin, just for kids looking to get into football, do you maybe have any introductory tips on uh, on how to, to be a good kicker? Uh, play soccer. <laughs> I think play soccer. I think that's, uh, you know, any kid in general, they should just play as many sports as they can. And, uh, you 
and uh, and then figure out the athletic um, side of them, and then turn into a kicker. I, that's like my my thing is if my son turns into a kicker, I'm like, oh gosh, he's going to be a kicker. Like I don't want him to be that. I don't want him to be the kicker. So. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> because it's too much pressure on you, right? To watch that from the stands yeah. would be hard. But maybe it'll be a fallback. You know, we'll get to the end and be like, all right, you know what? This golf and this, you know, these basketball, it's not working out. We got to kick, all right? We got to get a scholarship somehow. So let's kick. Come on, get your cleats. Let's go. <laughs> Justin Medlock joining us live for breakfast with the Bombers once again. Congratulations on being inducted into the Winnipeg Blue Bombers Hall of Fame. Yeah, thank you. I don't care what the cost is. Nick Dembski. Kalaus for Dembski! The five and a touchdown! Dylan Mitchell's going to get one on Winston Rose. Going deep for Mitchell on Rose. Got in the 20 and he's going to walk into the end zone. You know what I've learned about CFL fantasy football is that it makes me hate players. Kamar Jordan, I don't know anything about him, but I hate him now. All right, DT, I got several text messages about my lack of backbone on Thursday night. I tried to tell you, I tried to tell you that the BC Lions were going to give the Blue Bombers a a, a little bit of trouble. What was the indication, though? What was the indication? In two games, they were only giving up 200 yards against per. Vernon Adams was the second best quarterback statistically coming into the game. Zach Caleros was number one. They had receivers that were not in the game. That was probably the biggest thing that, where you convinced me, Rhymes isn't in, so maybe the eye test and the, and the numbers test wasn't working for me. So I backed off a tiny bit. Whatever happened, happened. Let's talk about what's going to happen this week, mm. and let's talk about fantasy, because I went all in on Bombers, and now I'm in 600 and something out of seven. Or I guess we. I think we're close to 800 now. Yeah, good. In 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 the uh, in the in the, in the um, CFL fantasy. So get in on that. It, it, it's not too late because you could win the week. But other than people who have given up for the season already, I you know that's where I'm I'm dwelling right now because I went all in on bombers. I'm gonna go. I'm not picking any bombers this week. I'm gonna pick other players. Talk about the the philosophy there in terms of. You know, putting your allegiances aside. Yeah, one of the keys for me is to pick players who are playing against terrible football teams, right? So you pull up the schedule. Well, okay, so do you think the Elks or the Red Blacks are terrible? Probably both. So there's going. So to be, who's terribler? Yeah, terribler. Yeah, if you if you happen to pick the Argos this week, you probably did pretty well because they put forty whatever it was on the Elks, right? Uh, that's that's kind of one of the basic ones. You pick running backs from teams you you think are going to win. So I had, and you pick cheap running backs as well. So uh, of course in this game I would have had I had Johnny Augustine until we learned Brady Oliveira was going to play, right? So that that's kind of a, a strategy in there, and then. Uh, if you want to risk it for the biscuit, you start stacking guys. You take the quarterback and a receiver or two from the same team and maybe add in their defense. Like going well. all in. Exactly. If you feel so strong, when the Bombers play the Elks coming up, I'm probably going to stack Zach Kolaris, Dalton Schoen, another receiver, and then Brady Oliveira, right? If, if, if you can afford them, them all. Um, you got to look for value picks too, though, right? So it's interesting, Montreal has had Austin Mack, their receiver, has been the ultimate value pick. Low price, but two touchdowns this past week. 
after a touchdown in the game before and you go, oh, they got that guy for 5,600 bucks when the top salary is 15,000. Hmm. I like that. I like that a lot. So yeah, you have to, uh, you have to stack it up and look for bad teams. Uh, unfortunately there's three teams on a buy this week, which causes some trouble. So you have to think, well, the lions and Argos, there really aren't bad teams in that, but maybe some, well, the Argos are high scoring, but the lions, as we saw, was it 21 points in three games they've allowed, including a game against the Bombers? And then the Bombers' Alouettes. It's, this is going to be a rough week for fantasy because you, you'd love to pick on bad teams, but the two bad teams are actually playing each other, and everybody else is uh, the top two teams in their divisions. So this week is going to be harsh. So uh, definitely do some crowing at us uh, at DougBrown97 and at DT on OB if you wax us in fantasy because your stack worked out. So that's it. Don't forget to download, subscribe, and share the Blue Bomber podcast. And also, in case you didn't already know, Monday night's Coaches Show with Derek Taylor and Mike O'Shea will be automatically uploaded to the Blue Bomber podcast. So if you want to catch a rerun of that or catch it and listen to it at your leisure, you can do so by subscribing to the Blue Bomber podcast. We will recap this week's game next week and look ahead in the Canadian Football League, focusing on, of course, your Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Greg Mackling, on behalf of Derek Taylor, thank you for spending some time with us.